Welcome to the UK Educators Community Podcast hosted by Sid, an outstanding woman in STEM award winner, serial entrepreneur and educational consultant. Now, my vision is to make maximum impact in the world through education, but I know I can't do this alone. So this is where you guys come in. Why don't you join me on this journey as we as educators and entrepreneurs create impact one child at a time? Join my Facebook group at UK Educators or find some great resources on my website at ukeducators.com. Today, we're going to be looking at how we can contract out marketing. So the last podcast was looking at how we can do things ourselves and how we can increase our presence on social media across the different platforms. Today, what we're going to be looking at is how we can put processes together where we're going to then be ready to contract out the marketing to someone else to do. So I've got an amazing guest with me today. We've got David Summerfleck. He is in the States, so we're going to get a completely different perspective. And he will be talking about the processes that he works with when he takes someone on board through his marketing at work. So he's a marketing expert and we will be looking at processes. Because I think the difficulty that we have as educators is that we know what we want sometimes and sometimes we don't know how to get that across to someone else and the onboarding process and the getting to know process is so important so we're going to have David talk about that with us today welcome David thank you for having me Sid how are you doing I'm good so tell us a bit about you and how you got into marketing I originally went to college to study to be a writer I was studying Shakespeare and Chaucer and Keats and so on and going to literary fairs and all of that and I quickly realized that writers really were not making a livable wage this was in the mid-90s so I began studying the internet and digital marketing, which was very new back in the mid-90s. So I had internships in college at several newspapers. And upon graduating from college, I immediately went to a marketing agency right away. And it was an absolutely insane experience. The person in charge was, it was almost like he had Tourette syndrome. I mean, he would curse, he would yell, he would shout obscenities, he would say things that, you know, are completely unacceptable, but that's your job. And I also learned a tremendous amount from it. So it was an abusive relationship, basically, but I learned a tremendous amount about marketing from the experience. He taught me a lot, a lot about what I didn't want, but, you know, I also learned a lot about marketing from that agency. And after that experience, I obviously I worked at other marketing agencies, and I also worked as a freelancer or independent contractor in between those experiences. And briefly as an educator, I taught sixth grade language arts, which is called middle school. So I taught sixth grade language arts, lasted one year, realized I was not a good fit at all. Later on, I taught college level journalism and college English. So, but primarily I worked for different marketing agencies off and on for about 20, 25 years and had had other positions related to marketing in between those. Now, knock on wood, thank God, every day I'm semi-retired. I still work with clients, but I'm much more selective because I want to work with clients who really, it really matters to them. It's not a hobby. This is really serious. I've got skin in the game. I want to pay a mortgage or rent. My family's counting on me investing two, $3,000 so I can make back double or triple that in a few months is perfectly acceptable. That's who I might work with now. And as a former educator, my heart goes out to people who are in education right now, especially now. And I think now, especially, it's such a diluted market because families are trying to reach out to different tutors to get them on board because kids are missing out on a whole host of education so now is probably a good opportunity for a lot of people but at the same time it's such a diluted market so in your opinion what is the best way to stand apart from everything that's going out because at the moment facebook is inundated with adverts from agencies, uh, tutoring agencies and tutors. How do you stand apart in that kind of market? And what do you do to make your customers stand apart? Well, ultimately, if you're an educator, from a marketing perspective, ultimately, you're no different from any other service provider. I mean, what you provide is education, but you're still a service provider, like an accountant or a mechanic 
or a doctor or a psychologist is just a different area of speciality, like a lawyer. Or I think in the UK, you call them a solicitor because they're, they solicit, literally. So the, the way you stand out is by finding your niche, just like the lawyer will have a specialty, estate planning, tax law, patent law, and so on. So an educator has to have a specialty. The more specialized you are, the more you attract that specific group of people. So for example, if I say, look, I only want to work with people who want to earn six-figure income and see themselves as premium service providers. Well, if you're a hobbyist or you're non-committal, you're not going to be a fit. And you know that, you know? So, I mean, for example, if you're an unemployed educator right now, first of all, God bless you. My heart goes out to you. Register on a site like uh, Cambly or some of these other sites where you can work remotely. Register for as many more as you possibly can while you're waiting for all of these to go through and be very specific. This is my area of expertise. You can tailor your expertise. If you've been an educator your whole life, find that niche in that. What did you always excel in? You can adjust or or massage your resume, so to speak, without misrepresenting anything and say, this is what I want my focus to be. So if you were an English teacher, but you always preferred literature, you may not want to go down too specific, but a, a literature coach. Well, that's going to be perfect for someone who's trying to pass literary courses, for example. So the more specific you can be, the more you can differentiate yourself and the easier it will be for you ultimately to market yourself. Just as if you have a podcast only for educators. Well, now what if you say you have a podcast only for this smaller group of educators, the more specific you are. It's similar to dating. You know, if you say, well, who, who is your ideal date? And you say, well, anyone. Well, there's plenty of people to fill that bill. If you say, well, anyone with a pulse, that's pretty broad. The odds are the relationships won't be the type of loving relationships that people say they want. But if you say, no, the person's got to be tall, they've got to be uh, well-educated, they must have a sense of humor, they must be, you know, at least moderately attractive, you know, the more specific you are, you're training your subconscious to go find that for you. You, you get out what you put in. So narrow that down first and foremost. If someone reaches out to you and you've already established that they are a client that you will work with, what is the very, very first thing that you do? Is it that you find out what their niche is? Do you talk about their speciality or do you expect them to already know that beforehand? You would hope that they would know that, but in all honesty, I don't expect it. And the reason for that is, I mean, I don't want to jump ahead too much, but what I will say is what my process is. So first of all, what I do is I screen the person to see if we're a good fit for each other. We may not be a good fit for each other. The person may be very controlling or domineering. They could be very cheap or very broke. They could be, this is just a hobby for me, right? I don't really take it seriously. I already have a full-time job, which that's all well and good, but that's not for me. If they're not the right fit for you, and you've established that in the first screening, which I'm assuming uh, is a conversation. Right, it is. I'm, I'm not in my 20s anymore, you know, so I don't have the time for it. I just say, God bless you. Thank you so much. I'm sure you're a wonderful person and your family loves you and your pets think you're the hottest thing in the world. I don't think we're a good fit for each other. If you want me to give you some advice, I'm happy to give you advice, but you know, we're not a good fit for each other. If your budget's $200, I can't do anything with that. You know, if you're a controlling, dominating person, that's not for me. I probably wouldn't want to be friends with someone like that, to be honest. So I just wish them well on their journey. And that's it. If they're committed and we can work out some agreement, then we go from that initial screening call to what I call onboarding, which is two or three conversations where we work out. What are your goals? What are you really trying to achieve in life and in business? Don't worry about what you think is relevant or not. Let me decide that. I'm the one who's been doing it for 20, 25 years Okay, I'll decide that. So I tell everybody, look at me as like the marketing doctor. If you go to the doctor, what does the doctor ask you? Where does it hurt? How long has it been hurting? I need to diagnose the issues first before I can come up with a way to treat the issue. What you want 
may be very different from what someone else may want. Your budget could be much lower than someone else's budget or much higher. So you have to find that out before you can help anybody. One of the things I always ask is, what have you done already by yourself, for yourself, before you've come to me? Because the odds are 99.9%. You've already gone to Wix or Weebly or Squarespace or Vistaprint or what have you and tried one of these do-it-yourself template deals. You've waited six months. In some cases, people have waited years where nothing happened. And they've reached a point where their business is about to go under. Now they're ready to commit. I had one client who came to me after three years. She had tried it herself, multiple DIY methods for three years. And she said, I go and meet people at networking events. They look at my website and they laugh. They say, it looks like a grocery list. Why would I hire you when I can just go to somebody who's professional and they care about how they appear online? Or they come up right away when I go to Google. So she said, I'm finally ready to commit. And I said, that's wonderful. It took her three years to come to that decision. Now I can finally work with you. But I told her, but I've got to tell you, you can't come at me and be domineering and controlling. I can tell you how budget ranges work and how you can estimate your budget range. It's right for you. And we can work something out to that effect. But don't come and tell me what it should look like and so on. I can explain to you how these decisions are made by professionals so that you have an informed basis to go from. But if you don't take so much direction from your client, is there a danger of completely changing what their brand looks like then in a bid to get their awareness out there? Well, you still listen to the client. You're not going to push them aside and say, I don't care what your logo is. I don't care what your opinion is. I want to know. I need to know. But if you don't have a logo already, then that's actually better. That's easier because now I can work with something. So there's a science to this. It's not just willy-nilly that someone you know wakes up in the middle of the night and says, I got it. I know what my brand should be. I know what my website should look like. I know what my SEO should be. I know how to outrank competitors. You don't just throw rice at the wall and see what will stick. It doesn't work that way at all. There's a science behind every decision that you make, or there should be if the person is professional and has any level of serious experience. And I can explain that to clients. I can explain it to you and anyone watching or listening, how budgets are estimated, how design decisions are made, how long a project should take, what your content should be, who your ideal client or customer should be. All of that's already dictated by science and research that's been going on since the internet began. My kind of hesitation with outsourcing marketing has always been around, will that person be able to capture the essence and the voice of the brand? And I think that's difficult when you are the brand, right? When you are the brand and it's my voice and it's my kind of look and feel and the way that I talk. And that's what I mean by brand. I mean more than just a logo. You're talking about the look and the feel and and exactly yes how how do you translate that into a marketing campaign and how long does that process take for you to first meet the person to actually establish a good marketing campaign that works no project should ever take more than i think 90 days i like to work very quickly because i just believe in being very organized and deliberate Plus, I would say time is money. If you have a project that takes six months to accomplish, you're not getting anything done. You're literally robbing Peter to pay Paul. The person isn't making any money and you're losing time. So how do you distinguish what your brand should be? In much the same way as I say, I'm a digital marketing specialist. I provide digital marketing solutions. My initials are DMS. It's my name. It's what I do. Blue is my favorite color. My website's DMS.blue. Everybody remembers that. So you want something like that, that matches who you are and what you do. And you meld those two together. And the only way to really discern that information is by having at least two or three, what I call adult conversations. And when I say adult conversations, I don't mean whispering sweet nothings or something like that. I mean, really getting down to the nitty gritty of who you are, what you are, what are you trying to do in your career? Why? Not what you think should be, 
but why? And so by winnowing that down, we can come to what your brand is. And by looking at similar professionals in your city or state or district or region and see what they're doing. When it comes to individual educators, actually very few, if any, are going to be online. When I was a sixth grade language arts instructor in the US, I found that almost no other educators had websites that were anywhere even close to decent that would work on your modern phone or that represented them in a professional way. So when I was an educator, why would I have a website? Who cares, right? Well, I had it so it would have my resume, my teaching philosophy, my mission statement, you know, references, testimonials, everything was on that website. If they wanted to see this information, yeah, I could give them a million PDFs, but it would be much easier just to go to the website and look it up. I like the fact that you've said teaching philosophy and like your mission statement, because that kind of gives you your background story about who you are and what, what you're and you about. Stand out. I think nowadays, though, everyone's got a website, like every educator has one who's working for themselves now, right? Whether they've got a good website is a different question, but they do have a website. So do you also work on not just advertising, but the social media presence that they have? So like web sites and working on the SEO and making sure that their ranking is high as well and all of that kind of stuff. To a lot of people today, social media marketing is the internet. It's not. You got to be very careful with what you say on social media marketing as anyone who's savvy knows this. If you read the news, especially if you're an educator and you work with children or adolescents, you've got to be very, very careful what you say online. So, If you're going to have social media and you're an educator, then obviously you have to use it with surgical precision and say, I'm going to have this channel or this presence with social media only specifically for the specific intent of promoting educational content, downloads, checklists, perhaps uh, research papers or scholarly resources or presentations or giveaways. But even then, those would have to specifically be tailored to who? Who is your ideal consumer? Educators in this market, right? The dentist, the doctor, the lawyer, the mechanic, their ideal consumer is the consumer. But if you're an educator, your ideal consumer is going to be the principal, perhaps the staffing agency, perhaps the school. So you got to be very, very careful to only represent yourself in a very professional manner. Even what you may think is silly or cute or appropriate for little children may not be. So you really have to be very methodical with that. Lesson plans, downloads, checklists, Uh, things of that nature. So that's what I personally would submit on social media. And I would only stick to the top two or three social media channels. So Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. Do you not recommend Instagram? Uh, Well, I feel ambivalent about Instagram. But here's the thing. If you're a human being and you have one person, unless you have a staff working with you, you really can only post so much content to so many outlets. If you can post to Facebook and Instagram simultaneously in an automated manner, such as using a tool like Hootsuite or Buffer, then that's fine. Do it so in a manner that's automated for you. The more time consuming it is, the more you need to back off mm. because this is about finding work and finding good quality work, not about being a social media influencer full time, which you, you can't be. So the job is to represent yourself in a serious, very deliberate manner that you're reaching out to schools and educators and agencies very specifically. So you want to work out what your hashtag should be, what type of content are you going to produce and why and who will it serve before you begin just crazily posting on social media. Because once it's there, you can't get it back. So when someone outsources, would they be looking at outsourcing everything from social media right up to website and SEO? And what kind of progress will they see in that period of time? Nothing. It would be unlikely that they would in three months, unless there's much more going into it. 
such as the local SEO, the PPC, which is pay-per-click paid advertising. There's so many other factors that reinforce one another. You hear a lot of these magical guru guys refer to digital marketing as your 24-hour marketing machine and so on. It's a good metaphor, but it's also an exaggeration. SEO works with PPC, it works with content marketing, it works with branding, it works with responsive design. You know, if you want someone to pay you through your website to perhaps tutor, you can do all of that through your company website. I do. I recommend everybody does it because you need money. I don't know why people don't like money, but I, I need it. We have a good relationship. But as far as social media marketing is concerned, things that you could say are very specifically what you would use to teach. And then very specific hashtags and descriptions. Your website should have local SEO because you're not going to get a teaching position in another country or another state or what have well, you. And if you are, then you would change your SEO. So I think the audience that we're referring to is not teachers looking for jobs. So it's more tutors looking for parents. So it's any English speaking person that wants online teaching to the British curriculum. So it kind of opens it up. So how then would you do the SEO? Because it's no longer local anymore. It's more international, but you're looking for English speakers. As opposed to the US where everybody is on the opposite of lockdown, especially in Florida where I live, everybody's partying every single day and night. Now that's the conundrum. So if you're an educator, you're in the UK, You want to be a tutor, you want to be an educator, you want to work remotely, you're not getting any traction. What do you do? Well, that's the million dollar question. As as I was saying before, specializing is the secret ingredient because if you're an educator working from home and you want to tutor, what happens? What's the most common problem? I can't get seen. You're standing in a crowd of 10 million people and they're all waving their hands, flashing red lights saying, look at me, look at me, I'm, I'm hot stuff. Well, no, you're not because there's 20 million other people doing the exact same thing as far as the consumer can tell. You could be the most brilliant literary coach or literature tutor, but they'll never know. So you want to differentiate yourself by either Having local SEO, they're still going to look local because if you use Google, Google in most cases will automatically detect your local demographics. It'll immediately zero in on where you live and it will tailor its search results to meet that. If you go to Google and type in mechanic, it's going to show you a mechanic closest to you, whether you want it to or not. You'd have to go into the settings and disable that. Most people don't do that. And it's true for any business or any service provider. So most searches in Google overwhelmingly statistically are going to be local. So if you want your website to not be local, that's fine. But now you're competing nationally. So you really have to look through that. And that's why it helps to have someone who knows about SEO, and we'll talk to you and break it down and say, well, look, what is it you really want to do and why? What are your areas of expertise? How do we differentiate you from all the millions of competitors out there? If you're insistent that you want to do this nationally, well, that's fine. That makes logical sense. You want to have as much opportunity as possible. So we can experiment with that and say, okay, so you're science. So let's say that you're a STEM tutor. I'm not sure if they call it something different over there. So let's say that you're a STEM tutor. Well, how many others are there online? Probably quite a few. Mm-hmm. Right. So how do you differentiate yourself? You'd have to narrow it down a little bit more and try to be more specific. Perhaps there is a specific area in that STEM arena that you can focus in on more to differentiate yourself even more. So I'll give you a very specific example. I remember a few years ago, for quite a period of time, actually, there was a guy who was number one in Google for WordPress developer. Number one. Why was he number one? Because he had no competition at all. No one else used WordPress developer for their SEO. Imagine all the calls and contracts he was getting from companies. For years, this went on until finally somebody woke up or something, or the site began generating enough traffic that Google noticed it, and there became more and more competitive traffic for him. So if you can compete locally, that's always preferable 
because that immediately narrows down your market competition. The odds of a STEM tutor in a very specific zip code or area code having a responsive website that looks professional, it's much less likely to be the case locally than it is nationally where we open it up to a much broader audience. So I've worked in my local area for 10 years and I've realized actually my local area, they don't value what I do as much because it's not a very, people aren't well paid, they're not well off. So the kind of value that I'm trying to attract, they don't see the value in it. Yeah, they see it as like a a something for the kids to do for a few hours while they go shopping. It's a bit of a nanny slash tutor while I do very specialized hands-on learning where they do dissections and chemical experiments and fire and Mm. all the crazy stuff, right? So they don't value it. And I've realized that over time I've had to travel out. So I've been to London, I've been to Manchester, I've taken what I do and I've gone out. But those people have just found out from word of mouth. It's, I've not yeah. deliberately gone out and done that. But if I'm now online and I know that my local area can't match the price that I want to kind of position myself at and I want to target a certain area, How do you then go about doing that? Can you actually set up your website so it looks like it's local to a different region? Is that possible? There are ways to do that. But here's the thing. We need to move backward from what you were saying because we need to look at who your competitors are, both locally and nationally, who are doing what you want to do most and then studying how do they differentiate themselves. So in other words, there were two different marketing strategies that were similar. One was called profiling, which is like the serial killer approach, you know, where you profile, right? And I'm not advising that anybody become a psycho or whatever. If you already like that, please, you know, don't don't contact me. But um, what you would do is you would look at people who you admire online and you would say, what are they doing? And what can I learn from them? Not just how do their websites look, how were they designed, what type of content do they produce? Look at how they represent themselves on Twitter and LinkedIn and Facebook. Are they on Pinterest, for example? You want to look at that. Look at what their SEO is. A lot of people don't even know how to tell what someone else's SEO is. I don't. I have no idea. See, case in point. Ha ha. Now, here's the answer. And it's really simple. You take this thing called a cursor and you find the tab, whether you use Firefox or Internet Explorer or whatever browser you use. Usually it's Firefox or Google Chrome or Internet Explorer. You put your cursor over the tab. Now, if you see the word home, that's basically telling Google that the website's name is called home or that what the website does is home. That means nothing to Google. So, For example, if you put your cursor over my website and you put it over the tab at the top upper left-hand corner, you'll see highlighted the words digital marketing solutions, right? Now, I may change that, but it's telling Google, Google, I want you to index this website for the terms digital marketing solutions. Then you'll see an up-down slash and then dms.blue. So it's telling Google, This guy wants to be known for digital marketing solutions. He's saying his company name is DMS.Blue. That's basic SEO. All of these other factors, such as branding, PPC, content marketing, content repurposing, social media distribution through these channels, all feeds into your SEO, which is how you outrank competitors in Google or more commonly not. Because I know you can do Google My Business and that's specifically for regions. Yes, absolutely. It's local. And I'll tell you a trick with that that most people don't do. You're trying to do too many things at one time. At the end of the day, you're one person. You're not a freaking octopus. You know, you got a life. You want to enjoy that life. And that's why you hire professionals to help you. But Google My Business has a thing where you can create a little mini website. You can upload video advertisements. You can upload other ads through it. You can write blog posts for the Google My Business mini site, for lack of a better phrase. And you can promote it and advertise that little sub site very specifically. 
Now, is that Google site substitute? No, it's a DIY template. Google is not in the web design business. They don't want to be in the web design business, in my opinion, based on what I see. Okay. And I don't think Google would disagree with me, but I don't see that. If they wanted to do it, they would do it differently, in my opinion. But it's an added bonus, right? And again, that's local. When people are searching, does it help in terms of ranking if they have a Google website? Oh, absolutely. The more collateral you have, the more you're giving Google food for. Because remember, Google is a giant indexing engine. It's a giant indexing program. It's a search engine. Yes, they have a staff of people who work for them, but it's just a gigantic program. So the more content that you put into the program, the more it has to search. Just like your computer, I'm talking to you on a computer now, obviously. So the more I have on my computer, the more the computer has to search, the more files it has to search through. So it's the same principle for Google. The more content, the more thought-provoking blog posts you write, the more collateral marketing content you submit, the more active you are in an appropriate manner, the more you're giving Google to index, the more active you are on YouTube, which is the number two search engine in the world, not coincidentally also owned by Google. So you see, the more you have, the more it can index. It's much easier to maximize local search results than it is national or international because it's a much broader competition. So with the Google site specifically, so I understand the fact that the more that you feed Google, the more it's going to have to kind of show in the search results. But that's also the case if you put stuff on Facebook and Twitter, that will also show up in search results as well. But the specifically having a Google site mm. put you higher up than having like multiple normal sites on WordPress, for example. If you have a Google website, which is not really a full-blown website, it helps you because you're they're inside the Google ecosystem. Yeah. Right. Now, if you have one full-blown professional website and that Google extension, that's very advantageous. It's good for you. If you have 10 landing pages or something crazy like that, in all likelihood will probably work against you because to Google, they'll look at you and go, this person's doing some shady stuff. We don't know what they're doing. There could be duplicate content, which will make you look like a spammer to Google. So you've got to be very careful with overstating it. So I would not do that. If you're someone who wants to say, apply for teaching gigs in different states or different bureaus or different jurisdictions or what have you, then you could have your own website and have specific pages for different geographic regions with local SEO tailored to those specific regions, such as here's a page for Manchester, here's a page for um, Dropeshire or Hertfordshire or whatever. I don't know all the shires. So uh, that's, that's one way to do it. You know, if I wanted to be number one in Google for digital marketing specialist, for example, there's very little competition in Google for that. You research the term. Let's say I posted my resume on my website as a separate page. Well, what would I title it? I would title it digital marketing specialist. At the top, the heading would be the same terms. Then I would use subtitles. And what were my different positions at different marketing agencies? Well, it had better be digital marketing specialist or something similar or complementary to that. And you would use those terms two or three times is enough per page. And then it would probably outrank just about anybody else because most digital marketing specialists don't have resumes online, which is really ironic if you think about it. It's like a doctor not going to medical school. It doesn't make much sense. Could an educator or tutor, someone who wants to work from home, benefit from having a professionally developed website? Yes. Should they have a Google My Business listing locally? Yes. Use the Google tools available to you. Yes, absolutely. Start local, grow from there. If someone is going to outsource and they are looking to kind of work with someone for the first time, what kind of budget should they be looking at? And I know you're going to be working in dollars, but I think people don't realize yeah. the amount of time and effort it takes when you outsource to someone because you're trying to learn the business as well and trying to figure out what they are after. So right. how much of a budget should 
people be thinking about putting aside if they want a professional marketing agency to work with them? Okay. Well, as far as the differences, the exchange rate between pounds and dollars, I think, I mean, it's a slight difference. I mean, you know, what is uh, one pound versus one dollar? I think a pound is maybe 125 or 130 to to the one dollar. I'm not sure. How do you estimate budget ranges? It's really quite simple. When I had my own small marketing agency years ago, because I'm not 21, I know I probably look 21, of course, but I'm not. The way that you can budget quite easily and work out these ranges, first of all, I do sell something called the Illustrated Guide to Digital Marketing. You can buy from my site for like $15. Basically, what you do is when I had my agency and I wanted to advertise that agency in print media, I would call the local tabloid or the local newspaper. Hello, I want to put an ad in your tabloid or your newspaper. What are the rates? And they said, well, sir, it would be $2,000. The ad will run for two to three months. Now they never can guarantee results because they don't know who's going to call you or email you, if anyone. And of course, they don't know if you're going to respond. I've worked with business owners who didn't respond to phone calls or emails. And so they left money on the table. So it'd be around $2,000 to put an ad in a newspaper for several months. It can't guarantee any kind of results. And after you stop paying, what happens? The ad disappears. For the same or commensurate investment, you could actually be online in a very professional, above-board manner. And then you would pay a maintenance fee to someone professional to run daily backups of it, do security scans of it and perhaps help you with formatting blog posts and advise you on social media, or maybe do even more for you on a a la carte type of basis. There's no professional who would push you away if you said my budget is two or three thousand dollars or two to three thousand pounds, they're not going to reject that. They'll say, well, maybe that's enough to this halfway point or negotiate or something. But there's no one who would say no. Whereas if you were to go to an agency, in most cases, an agency cannot talk to you for less than ten thousand dollars or ten thousand pounds because they have so much more infrastructure and overhead. They have to pay utilities and rent or the lease on their building. Even today, so many agencies very foolishly rent or lease office space, which is just utterly ridiculous. But they want to see you physically in your cubicle to feel like you're working. It's a whole other topic, but that's how you would get started with estimating a budget. You would start at that point. As far as do it yourself, I understand where people are coming from in their thought in approaching that. But ultimately you get out what you put in, not just in life, but in business too. It's a free do-it-yourself tool for a reason, you know? So you go to the very nice upscale supermarket and they give you little treats little giveaways, little treaty poos or doodads or what have you. You know, here's a little taste of cheese. Here's a little piece of pizza that's like this big, you know, whatever. And you can wander from, you know, booth to booth and try to assemble a meal that way, but it's more likely than not. It's just not going to work. They give away things that don't matter to them, that they can afford to lose. They've budgeted to lose. So why would companies give you free do-it-yourself templates Well, because they know that if you want competitive SEO, you're going to have to call them. Well, sir, that's $150, $250 per month. And we're going to outsource you to someone else who's not going to care about you personally. You're going to be another person in the queue. If you want to change your design, you want design help. Well, that's going to cost you this amount. And so they parse it out bit by bit. So it looks like you're getting something for nothing. But anybody with any real experience knows you don't get something of quality for nothing. It just doesn't work that way. You get the free do-it-yourself or template, and then six months or six years later, you wonder what happened. Nobody's calling. That's what happened. I can't tell you how many solicitors or in the U.S. lawyers I've talked to who were furious because they weren't getting any phone calls. And I'd look at their website and I'd say, well, no wonder. I mean, you know, there's no content written. There's no links. There's no local SEO. So there's no way you're going to compete with with anybody. 
what do you, what did you expect? And then they're livid because I didn't cajole them. You know, if you want to be competitive, think in a competitive way. So there's the profiling method that I explained that marketers used to do where you study larger, more profitable competitors or people whom you admire or you would want to be like. You look at their websites to see what you could learn from them. You know, no matter where you live, there's large major metropolitan cities, you know, and I could give you a million examples on that. So that's how you would begin piecing that together. And one of the steps that I do where I talked about onboarding is when we book a free call to see if we're a good fit for each other, I let them read a copy of my workbook, The Illustrated Guide to Digital Marketing. They can read it. If you pay for a coaching call, then they can download it and you can read through it. And then when we talk, I ask them, Did you have time to read through this workbook? Did you do any of the exercises? I don't expect them to, because I know most people won't read, at least not in the US. So I say, let's talk about these goals because I just instructed you how to create the marketing collateral, how to estimate the budgets, how long a project should take to build, how design decisions are made, all the basic fundamental core that you need. You know, what do you think about all that? So now when we talk, we can really get down to the nitty gritty. We can really narrow in onto the heart of the matter about really doing something that matters to you to really ignite growth. And I may have digressed a wee bit. So if someone is looking to outsource their marketing and coming to a close now, like what are the top three tips? Because I think the pain point is it's a lot of money for a lot of people, especially if it's a a small business and they're starting out, especially in a situation like now where it's COVID and everything's so much uncertainty. So if someone is going to commit to spending a couple of grand on marketing, how can they ensure that they're getting the best out of it? So you're doing your kind Mm. of checking and making sure it's the right fit but what can a business do to check that they're getting the best value and they're getting a good fit for what they want so what would be your top three tips when they go out looking for a marketing Mm. agency i have more than three number one first and foremost is you want to get the impression that they care about you and really trying to discern information i know that i can digress I talk slowly, so I do not try to get information from people in 10 or 15 minutes. It's ridiculous. We're not on treadmills. So you want to get the impression that the other person legitimately cares about you as a human being and what you're trying to do to discern, are we a good fit for each other, first of all, because I'm not desperate, but you want to make sure that they're working from a position of, I really want to do quality work for you. Are you committed? How long have you been doing this? What skin in the game do you have? And they're not rushing through something. They've got to have at least two or three conversations with you before agreeing or not agreeing to work. If we're going to work together, you've got to have at least several conversations through Zoom or Skype or what have you to find out if you're a good fit for each other. Now, as far as the not having money issue, I have some retorts to that. Nobody has money. Times are always tough. Okay, 10 years ago in the U.S., it was the the Great Recession. Every 10 years, there's some kind of a market correction or something. So times are always tough. But if you need a medical procedure done, you put it on a credit card. At least in the U.S., we don't have a national health care service like you guys do. So the quality of health care you get is dependent upon your income level, quite simply, which is really bestial, but it's true. So you put it on the credit card and you pay in installments. You know, as far as, you know, getting quality marketing, you can put it on a credit card, but also no one who's professional is going to say, give me this amount of money right now before I work with you. That's crazy. They'll say, sir or madam, here's how I work. Here's how we can discuss budgets. I ask for this amount down first, then this percentage at the halfway mark which should be at this amount of time. And then this final amount when the project is completed. Now, if you need to even that out somehow, we can work out some type of subscription plan where we work more slowly and make that amount smaller so that it's more amenable to someone with a smaller budget. 
or we could start modestly and proceed from there, but at least you're informed on what you're not getting and why. It's just like ordering from menu. If you can't afford the filet mignon, that's fine. You go further down the menu and see what you can get. So there are always options. You know, as long as there's no resistance to making progress, you can work with someone. The other thing is they should be receptive to you asking questions. If you keep it, well, how much is SEO? How much is a website? How much is this? How much is that? Well, if they explain to you how budgets can be estimated, you know, as long as it's an intelligent question that you mean sincerely, most people should be able to answer whatever questions you you can throw with them. Also, whoever the person is, whether it's me or Joe Blow, they should have testimonials or references from legitimate sources. How can you tell? Well, first of all, they should show the first and last name. David did a great job, signed TJ. That's not a reference. I'm sorry. The person could have written that themselves. That's ridiculous. On my website, I have testimonials from real people. I show their real photos. They have pimples or unshaven. These are real people like you would see walking down a public street. And it has their real names. In some cases, there's even their phone numbers that you can call and leave a message. And they don't know it, of course. So all of this information should be laid out very clearly. They should be hiding in plain sight, so to speak. So that's how you can tell. And then as far as the whole picture of digital marketing, a website in and of itself is not magic. A website is useless without SEO, content marketing. I'm looking at my list, e-commerce, branding, email automation, so you don't spend all your time responding to the same email over and over again. You want to really automate as much as you can and coordinate all of this so everything is working in unison. Now, obviously, the more limited the budget the more limited and smaller the scope should be. But when you work with a professional, we know when to accelerate and we know when to ease up off the gas pedal. So do you think a digital marketing expert like yourself is as broad as you're kind of doing it or do different people specialize in certain areas? Because I've spoken to people that do just social media or they do just paid ads, or they do just organic reach on social media, or they do just websites. And I've never met someone that does all of these things that you're talking all about. Email yeah, email automation and websites uh, yeah. and, and all of that. So is that normal to kind of expect that when you're kind of going out to, to look for a company? Or is it going to be that a person will be really good at something and they're using all of the others as an add-on. Because I find that with a lot of printers, you will get really great business cards, but their flyers are an add-on and they might not be the most competitive or the highest quality. Yeah, you basically answered your own question there. I mean, here's the thing. I know what my deficits are. So let's say for the sake of example, I could take you and say, okay, I'm going to make you number one in Google for local STEM tutor. I know what content you should write. Am I going to write the content? No, I'm not a STEM educator. I'm horrible at math. That's for you to write that content because it's highly specialized. How is it going to be distributed to social media? It's going to be what you write and then distributed through social media, only branded, right? I can make suggestions, but there are areas that I'm not going to intervene in. I would just give you tips on how to do it so that everything works as a unified whole. So, you know, it's like if you went to a master mechanic, then a master mechanic should be able to fix any type of car and be informed on just about any type of issue. Now, the mechanic may say, you know, I don't really like to do body work and mess around with painting cars. It's very time consuming. I know how to tell a good job from a poor job. I work with this company that they, they do great car painting. And I know that they're very professional and very, very, very uh, above board or credentialed. They have great references and so on. They've been in business for 30 years. So I use them. So I'm similar to that. I know about social media. I'm active on social media sometimes, sometimes I'm not, off and on. But I'm one person and I'm semi-retired, so I really don't care. So I'm in a different place. So if someone wants to be hyperactive on social media and there's a company I wanted to outsource it to, I would work with companies that I know are at the top of their game and only the very, very best in the US or in the world. And that's why I would outsource it through, not through some uh, 
hobbyist on Craigslist or somebody on Fiverr or what have you. And they're wonderful people in a lot of cases. Some of them are, you know, fine people and they're desperate. They're trying to earn enough money to buy food for the day. I don't fault them for that at all. My heart goes out to them, but they're not going to do the quality work of a company such as Amaz, M-O-Z. They're specialists in SEO, in the local directory uh, listing, so to speak. Why would I go and spend X number of hours doing it myself when I could just say, this is how much it's going to be? You know, some of that money will be for my outsourcing it, and then I'll let them do it because I know that they'll do a top-notch job. Now, my job will be to integrate that all into your website because there's so many different component parts. So your special area is, from what I'm getting from the conversations, is the website and the SEO. Yeah, right. My area of speciality as it relates to digital marketing is bringing all the pieces together into a cohesive whole. We've covered on so many different topics in this show, and I think it's nice to get two people, two marketing experts, one after the other, talking about completely different areas because Alex was more social media and David you're more kind of bringing it all together and more kind of the the SEO side Uh, so thank you so much for taking part in this podcast and sharing your knowledge if people want to reach out to you it's dms.blue thank you so much David for taking part and I'm sure people will reach out to you and analyze your website you're more than welcome I had uh, great fun talking to you I hope that you've enjoyed listening into the UK Educators Community Podcast and you took lots of value from this conversation. Now we've reached the end of season one. Can you believe it? 14 episodes, lots and lots of amazing interviews and some great experts, tutors and entrepreneurs. If you haven't listened to all of them yet, I highly recommend that you do because you'll find oodles of gems and interesting facts and lots of values from amazing experts and people who have experienced teaching and being an entrepreneur. Now, if you are excited about what we've got coming up next, I'm excited to tell you that we will be releasing season two next month. So the details are going to be in the description. Make sure that you are subscribed so you are going to be the very first to know when the next episode and season are released. I look forward to speaking to you soon. This is Sid, UK Educators Community Podcast, and you can find me at ukeducators.com. I'll see you next time. Bye, guys.